Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today's guest was, oh my goodness, such a joy. So, so, so much good came from this conversation. His name is Chris Rodriguez, and he is a mindfulness and movement coach. Chris shared so much about his story growing up in inner city, New Jersey, what that was like as a young kid mixed with having parents that were immigrants, and what that confusion looked like going into a home where super loving family, super loving everything, and then going outside and having to really just put on your armor, as Chris says. We learned and talked and laughed, and he told so many great stories about that. And then he also talked a lot about his relationship with movement and how incredible that is. We got into a little bit about how my eating disorder has distorted my view of movement and how he... Just his thoughts on that was really enlightening and really hopeful. So yeah, we talked about that. We talked about dancing. We talked about different types of masculinity, toxic masculinity, progressive, I guess, masculinity, all of that good stuff. So please enjoy this episode. I'm so excited for you to hear it. If you guys are enjoying the Unity Project podcast and you want to support and get more involved, then I would be so, so honored and just thankful if you went over to my Patreon page for the Unity Project where you can give as little as $1 a month and become a big part of why I get to actually make this podcast and to help me continue to make this podcast and continue having these really cool interviews about topics that I really think are going to change the world if we talk about more. Or you can go pick up a copy of my book, Finding Home. You can do that at my website, JackieGronland.com. Or if you can't afford to support me financially, that is absolutely okay. Leaving a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you listen to podcasts, that helps so, so much more than I think we give credit to. So any of those things are wonderful. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Chris Rodriguez, how is it going over there? Oh, it's going good. It's going good. Sunny out. I don't know. What is the weather like where you're at? Oh my gosh. It, I was actually going to say that to you before we recorded. It's, I'm, I'm like on top of the world right now because it's the first really good, nice, pretty day in so long. Because I'm in Nashville and we had the big like tundra storm and then the big flood and now it's finally sunny. And so I just oh, totally taken it all in. Yeah, I, uh, I send pictures and videos of me walking on the beach because it's not it's i'm in the bay area so it's not super warm beaches but it's better than what my family's experiencing on the east coast so uh, yeah Yeah. what whatever beach you're at is better than no beach all the time so i support that man so you your family there in the east coast they're in new jersey still i'm assuming yeah 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 okay i got so they got some yeah i'm in uh the bay area california Okay. How long have you been over there? So I've been in California now for five years. And before that, I actually spent 10 years in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, so, wow. uh, 
when people hear my voice and they hear that y'all come out, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you watch Friends or have you watched Friends in the past? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's all I can ever think of when I hear of Tulsa, Oklahoma's Channing Day. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's the millionth time you've heard that, but I had to say it. Hey, it's all good. It's oh all my good. Gosh. No, no hate, no hate. No all hate, love. man. Yes. Well, I gotta say, I'm very jealous you live in California. I've bounced back and forth between there and here. We're actually headed back out to California by the, mm. I think, like middle of summer. We uh, are renovating an RV. And we're just gonna live Whoa. in it and travel up, travel up there, man. So I'm stoked. Maybe we'll wave at you on our way up to Canada or something. Oh my goodness! You gotta stop at the bay. It's people when people think of California, they think like uh, surfer bros in SoCal and Hollywood. But man, the Bay Area is just a beautiful place. We got the we got the redwoods, we got the oh. ocean, we got the mountain. It's all, you know, from from where I live, I live right outside of Oakland. I can drive 30 minutes in any direction and be in some of the most beautiful places in the world. Oh. Um, Big Sur is right there. You got Santa Cruz that's south from there. It is yes. It's it's bucket list for a lot of people and I'm I'm blessed that I get to get to live here oh my so. gosh it sounds like it i cannot wait to take it all in that that's awesome i'm happy that you get to be there yeah oh. yeah me yeah. too <laughs> yeah. well for those listening chris is an incredible incredible person that we met on the instagrams like so many people do these days but chris Come is on. a mindset and movement coach am i saying that right yes 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 Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I guess to, to jump right in, uh, would you want to, which I hope you say yes, because if you say no, I'm like, all right, well, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, would you want to describe? No. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, so what's your favorite color? <laughs> no. All right. See you guys uh, later. That was nice. It was good. It was good. Good talk, Chris. Um, but would you describe the relationship that you have with your body and then talk about a time of when you felt the most disconnected from your body? Okay. I will answer both of those. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, you know, my relationship with my body, I think of a Kendrick Lamar line, loving you is complicated. Mm. It is, it's an interesting thing because most of my life has been gauged by my physical performance. Uh, starting off as a dancer, a musician and singer, getting into the fitness space, uh, becoming more of an athlete. Everything is about the what my body can do. Mm -hmm. And I'm only 34, but my body's aging and my long curly hair that I used to have um, is thinning out a little bit. And uh, those abs aren't quite what they what they used to. It's it's hard to it's hard to reconcile the and I know your older listeners are going to be like, you're, you're just a baby. But <laughs> reconciling the the aging body. Uh, when so much of my life and my work is based off of physical performance. Mm. And then even like, you know, back when things were open and we can go 
hop into classes. I'd go down to LA. I'd, I'd go to a workshop. I'd go to a dance class. And I can't pick up choreography the way I used to. Right? It's just things don't do what I what I want them to do on command the way they mm. used to. But befriending the aging body, befriending the changing body is such a beautiful thing. So, you know, loving you, I say loving you is complicated, but I love you deeply. Right? Mm. So that's my relationship with, with my body these days. Yeah, honestly, like the, the most important relate or every relationship is complicated, but I feel like the most important ones are just so nuanced. Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful way of putting it. And then the second question, um, when was the first time I remember being disconnected from my body? Man, it was, and this one brought me back when I, when I was answering this and, and I've been kind of documenting some of these childhood stories and I get, I get to these points where I have to stop writing because like, whoa, I thought I'd, I thought I'd dealt with that, but something new came up for me and mm -hmm. I relived it. Uh, so I was 12 years old and it was the first time I got robbed. And I say the first time I got robbed because that was just kind of a normal thing where I grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way, the way I responded to it was something that I didn't have language for when I was a kid. So a little context. So growing up in inner city, New Jersey, where we grew up, uh, nobody in my neighborhood got new bikes. We always had some something that we put together, we pieced together, we found different parts and made our bikes. So two mismatched tires, um, repairing our own, you know, flat tires and, and everything, or the local crackhead that stole somebody else's bike, um, you know, would sell it to us for like 10, $15. That was, that was a thing. Or mm. if you had a new bike, it was because you went to some place and you stole it. But one of my friends, he actually had a new bike. He was always, you know, his dad would buy him the new things. So the context is he's letting all of us ride his new bike and it's my turn to ride it. I'm riding around the block and I'm on my block. He lives three, three houses down from me and I stop in my house to wait for my brother. So I'm at, I'm outside of my house, sitting on the front stoop inside my gate, the bikes laying out in front of me, 12 years old. And these two older kids that I've never seen before walked up and they just started talking to me, being super friendly with me. I think nothing of it. I don't think about the fact that, hey, you guys aren't from here. Uh, I just thought they were being nice. And they, they're like, oh yeah, that's a cool bike. Man, what'd you get? Oh, it's my friend's bike. Da, da, da. I'm just talking to them. And then this is a line that if you've grown up in the inner city, you, you might've heard this line before. Let me see your bike. And, and, and it's code for, give me your bike or I'm gonna take it from you. Not, hey, can I look at it, right? But I didn't know that code yet. So they say, yeah, let me see it. And then one of them picks it up and hops on the bike, 
rides away slow, slow enough that the guy that's next to him is walking with him, just talking. And I freeze. I don't, I don't cry. I don't yell. I don't, I don't do anything. I just look at them. If I ran after them, I could have chased them down. If I yelled, my house door was open. My uncle's in there. My brother's in there. The guys on the block, the dealers that hustle on the corner, they're right across the street at that corner store. My buddy, three doors down, I could have yelled. Anybody would have come. And I did nothing. I froze. Hmm. And my uncle came downstairs and I said, somebody just stole my bike. He was like, what do you mean somebody just stole your bike? What did they, did they hit you did no they just came and they took it it's like why don't you say anything why don't you and i i didn't know um i didn't know what trauma responses were i didn't wow. know about the freeze response and that's kind of it's really interesting because there's a lot of young young boys that that grew up in the that grew up in the neighborhoods similar to where I grew up and they don't have language for the trauma of being raised by just your mom they don't have the language for the violence around um the high police activity the the crime all this stuff the only language that that we find is you got to figure out how to survive. And if you let somebody punk you, if you let somebody take advantage of you, then you aren't going to survive. So you need to figure out how to develop toughness. So the first language that we learn is aggression, but not the good aggression that we that we can talk more about later. But that that aggression to I need to attack or be attacked. And that's mm. and that it just sent me down this path. I, I get I've following that. I got robbed several more times, but my response was different. I had I used different trauma responses. Sometimes I would fight. Um, sometimes when when a gun was present, I'd run. Right. So. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of people can relate to that moment as a child where you have to look around the world and say, what, what do I need to put on to armor up? to survive what society throws at me. Yeah. And we keep armoring up, keep armoring up. And then it, it, it comes into, it turns into us being childish adults in certain areas. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is, wow. That's a really, really good story that explains so much complexity of so many things of, of being a kid, of not understanding, not having language for things and the kind of like just the power that language gives us today to be able to like name what things were and to understand how that was. And 
to just the whole armoring up thing, like I feel like I've talked about that in so many other ways of like, oh, I'm gonna, like, what do I need to do to survive in this world? And like so many people's stories is like, I need to be funny or I need to be pretty or I need to be smart or I need Mm. to be thin or muscular. But it's such an important perspective or story of like, I need to protect myself, like literally physically protect myself with aggression that's got to do so much to your mind growing up. Right. I, I mean, one of the one of the uh, things that I learned in just kind of the movement space is when you when you look at animals, uh, rescues. Right. I've had a few dogs that were rescues, mm-hmm. and there is this this thing that happens when they when the alarm bark, when the mailman comes, when when some when somebody comes as like, hey, they're they are violating my space, my property. It starts with the back of the the hair on the back of the neck raising, mm-hmm. right? That tail is up, high high alert, and then and then the bark, right? And most times it's a it's alarm barking, right? But then neglected dogs what happens to them they attack they don't just alarm bark they attack and a lot of a lot of our responses we can look at we can look at animals out in the wild and we can say hey that's us when in this traumatized state Right. This is how we this is how we come into the world. And so to your point, when you talk about what does all that aggression do for you as as a child? Mm. Tension, so much tension in the body, so much tension in the mind. So much showing up to everybody in our lives guarded not not the truest form of ourself the the shallow armored form of ourself and then we 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 offload that aggression onto the people around us and onto ourselves self-hatred and the way we use the people around us. So I even think about, you know, all of the aggression from these little men who are trying to work through their trauma of fatherlessness, of poverty, of violence, of of just the toxic environment. And then you have these little women who are trying to process through that themselves and us little men manipulating using um not able to see the value of our women Mm. not able to see the value of our mothers and grandmothers who are raising us who are trying their best like my mom was a nurse and she worked so hard for to try to keep me out of trouble 
She made me go to church all the time. And she she really sacrificed so much for me to get out of that environment. But just taking all that for granted because we offload our trauma onto the people around us. Okay, tell what, what exactly do you mean by offloading our trauma? Hmm. So if we're using the armor analogy and we're talking about these these fear responses, imagine a warrior, imagine a boxer. In boxing there's there's these there's these different types of punches you can throw. You want to be defensive, uh, but you also want to you also want to attack when it's right. Mm-hmm. And to keep your opponent back, you do this thing. You throw a jab. It's your long reach punch, and it keeps your opponent away. And you want to throw enough of those, but you you also want to make sure you're guarding yourself too. A lot of times what happens though in a fight is, is somebody will come in and they'll throw a body shot. Ribs, ribs are tender. And they keep aiming for that tender spot. They keep going for it. And they keep going for it because if they keep hitting that tender spot, then you have to guard that tender spot. And you can't throw a punch to defend yourself because you're so guarded. So mm-hmm. when I think of armoring up and offloading on other people, trauma hits a nerve inside of us and it wounds us and we guard that wound. So when people in our lives start to approach that wound, what do you do? You try to back them up with a jab. And sometimes those jabs are words. Most times they're words. Uh, sometimes it's going inside of ourselves. That became uh, the next phase of how I process through things. So when I decided, hey, aggression isn't serving me, I went more to a place of going inside of myself. So silence, stonewalling became the new language of the new survival language. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously, you know, in the worst cases, physical physical aggression becomes the way we offload, so. Yeah. Yeah, I can just imagine, like, that being so, you mentioned earlier, tense, like so much tension of just, like, did it feel like everyone you meet or everyone you met growing up, you were questioning their motives and you were, like, on guard and never, like, settled, just always on guard? Hmm. I had a weird relationship with trust mm. because there's this interesting thing. So my parents are, are are immigrants. My mother's from Jamaica. My father's from Puerto Rico. Grew up primarily with my Jamaican side of the family. Uh, later on, developed a relationship. Have a great relationship with my dad now. With my grandmother and my Puerto Rican grandmother. And there is something very old world about growing up with with the immigrant family. So in the household, there was a lot of, even though for most of my life it was a single parent home, there was a lot of, my uncles were always around, we ate dinner together. There was a lot of just tradition in the house that comes, if, if anybody has international parents, 
first generation American, you understand there's some, there's these cultural codes. So there was this, so in one sense, there was this trust that was forming just from marrying my, my loving immigrant family. But then I walk out of my house and I have to armor up. So it was just these, these, these conflicting message messages. So the trust piece becomes a complicated thing because I'm, I'm seeing this here, but then I'm seeing something completely opposite uh, somewhere else, right? As, uh, literally walking out of my house, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, a, I'm getting a different message. That's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> That's so confusing. Oh man. So, you know, I, I think about the, the poem, Oh my God, it's like the most famous poem, the the road less traveled, you know, the two, yeah. you know, two paths, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, two roads. Out <laughs> the Robert the, Frost guy. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just that old guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's just that guy yeah, that like casual. changed poetry forever. Yeah. No yeah. big deal. <laughs> right, but uh, I would say that life becomes this, this thing of not just the two paths, but these meandering paths back and forth of, am I gonna choose the path of fitting or am I gonna choose the path of belonging? Mm. And Brene Brown talks a, talks a bit about this. And when you have these contradicting messages of, this is what society tells you you have to do. You have to curate your life to look a certain way. You have to be industry standard. You have to act this kind of way. You have to fit your stereotype or not fit your stereotype to survive your workplace, your church environment, your life environment. We find ourselves in this in this constant dance back and forth of am I going to settle for fitting or am I going to fight to belong? And most times we go back and forth between, obviously, if we're using the Robert Frost idea, the road less traveled is the road of belonging because how many people can actually say that they find what Brene Brown calls true belonging? Mm -hmm. I quote her a lot. She's like my fictional patron saint. <laughs> uh, but she, she talks a lot about true. this in, in Braving the Wilderness of of choose of, of true belonging and fitting in and shape-shifting to become what everybody tells you you need to be for likes and follows, for acceptance, for an easier life, that becomes a path that we take most times, right? Until somebody gives us permission to walk a different path. Until we find these these true guides that say, hey, not too many of us walk this way, but this will serve you better. What did that look like for you? Like who was there like a person or an experience or what kind of gave you that permission? Oh, man, it's it was some pivotal moments and some pivotal people. So mm -hmm. there was a guy, Sean Jones. I'll talk I'll talk about him. And then there was a group of people at my church when I was a kid. So mm. those those kind of things, those, and then my uncles. So these are the people that kind of gave me permission. So 
Sean Jones. I was going to the middle school that was down the street from my house. I was flunking at school because I didn't find it valuable. This was around the time when people were learning, when people were finally starting to learn about the different type of learning styles. <laughs> so sitting in this, this classroom in my assigned seat was in no way the environment that I thrived in learning in, right? So this is this is in the early phases. So, so that's all going on. I started falling in love with music. I started falling in love with dance. And there was a guy, Sean Jones, and he actually grew up in the same neighborhood, but he went to film school. And then he ended up working for HBO. And he was one of the producers back in the day when Chris Rock had a late night show. He was one of Chris Rock's producers. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was, he, he got out and he was coming back to basically discover talent. He said, I wanna give some young people a shot. So he was just a substitute, he was substituting at our, at our school and he was doing artist development. So he had this he had this idea. I'm going to take these inner city boys who who have talent, who are cool, who are popular, and I'm going to give them a pathway into the music industry. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. And it was it was it was a cool experience. And I, some of my friends were involved in it. And I I said, this is I want to do this. I want to be an artist. And <laughs> so I. I basically badgered him and just started showing up with my friends at his rehearsals until he finally let me be a part of this group. So it was it became this really formative moment where I'm not hanging out on the block anymore. I'm in vocal lessons. I'm mm. in talent shows. I'm in auditions. I'm practicing. And so the first form of permission I got to walk the path of belonging and Brene Brown, she quotes Maya Angelou of, you know, belong nowhere and everywhere, you know, and it's this idea of you, you gotta belong to you, right? So this path of belonging to, to myself, which, uh, social scientists would would call embodied living that was the first bit of language so so music and dance this expression of myself through my body getting this permission from mr jones hey you can you're you're talented and you can use this and i didn't i didn't realize again i'm a kid you know 13 14 years old and i'm learning this new language and what I learned as an adult is I'm learning this new language to cope with trauma. Now I don't need to, I don't need to offload my aggression. I can move my body. I can sing a song. I can write a poem. And so, so that artistry became one part of it. Um, the, my uncles, they were always present. They were, they would what, they were what people in the old world would call elders, right? They, mm. the elders in tribes would, would teach you the rituals 
They were the ones that you mirrored. They were the ones that were, were always there. They kept the code of ethics for the community. And my uncles were like that. They taught me work ethic. They taught me how to celebrate. One of my uncles, oh man, he is probably the coolest guy to ever walk the planet. He, oh, he was a reggae DJ and his name, like his DJ name was Papa Lover. That's what Papa we called Lover. him. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. what we called him. He was, oh, love the, it. he was the man. He cooked, he cooked food for all of us. Um, he would throw these big reggae parties and they called his house Big Yard. It was this big backyard and he'd throw the biggest reggae parties in New Jersey. People would come from New York, Pennsylvania. They, I mean, it was, it was wild. And that was what I grew up watching as a child. So this, 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 this man taught me how to just be, be cool, be everything that a Bob Marley song tells you mm. you need to be, or, you know, just all that permission. Music was always playing, food was always cooking. A few years ago when he passed away, um, that was, I mean, it was devastating for all of us, but how we mourned his death was, we rented, we did the whole, you know, funeral and, and service at, at church. And we went to a banquet hall afterwards and all my cousins and all the young guys that he had mentored, they just took turns DJing the whole time. And we cooked the big Jamaican feast. Like all my family pitched something in and some of, um, some of the local Jamaican restaurants catered and we danced and drank and ate and just in grief celebrated, right? And not in that weird, not in that weird way that kind of, you know, the church says, why are you mourning? He's in a better place and blah, blah, blah. No, no, we cried our eyes out and then we laughed and danced and, and celebrated as well. And the grief and celebration that permission to, I don't know, in, in the Eastern world, there's the yin yang, that dark and light, and it's not yin and yang, it's this one symbol of just connection that all the parts belong, right? So mm -hmm. you can grieve and remember, right? These, these are the, these, so, so my uncles are huge, are a huge part in giving me the permission uh, to to be myself, to live embodied, to to choose to belong to me, to choose to belong to a community, and then lastly, the 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 people that my mom forced me to be around as a youngster at church. These were these were these were men. A lot of them African American, a lot of them Puerto Rican, who. They were businessmen. They were, they they were PhDs. They were family men, and these these men were cool, and they cared about me, and they also loved their families. Right. So that's a different message than than what I than what I saw in my neighborhood. These these men were were serious. <laughs> they were serious about business. They were serious about work and hard work. 
but they were serious about their families. And when they prayed, they cried. Mm -hmm. I never saw a man cry. And I would watch them and like just express the spectrum of emotions and that presence. And then, you know, and then all the women that that were there that are always present in the absence of men because they don't have any other choice to be because somebody has to be mom and dad when dad is gone. Right. So my mother, my aunties, my grandparents, they just and all the mothers in the in the community. Right. It takes a village. And a lot of times in these scenarios, you have a village of of women who are trying to raise these boys and girls. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like such a, a safe haven. I feel like I'm like holding a cup of tea in front of a fireplace listening to you <laughs> tell these stories. Wow. That's so, that sounds like such an important, just like miracle of a safe haven for you growing up. And just such a juxtaposition of like that versus being out, having to, to have the aggression to stay safe and all that stuff. Like it's so different. What, what messages did you receive? I guess like in comparison, like what messages did you receive from your family and from your uncles and from like dance and all this stuff about what it means to be a man? And what messages did you receive outside of that? Like in the neighborhoods where aggression was important? Like, what were those differences? Hmm. I'm taking in the question. Do your thing. I'm taking in all your stories right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I, I guess there's a different story of masculinity. Mm. And I think of John Wayne. <laughs> John Wayne. John Classic. Wayne. <laughs> um, and it and it seems to be one of the only forms of masculinity that exists in in the in 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 general in American society. John Wayne, Homer Simpson, um, Berenstein Bears. These these men that either are. Uh, you know, I fight and kill my and kill my thing or I am aloof and and absent and not present. Right. That's what that's what TV. That's what TV said over the years. And then I look at my neighborhood. The message is show in whatever way you can show that you are fearless, show that you are not one to be reckoned with. But let's unpack what's what's actually happening so we so we present ourselves in this box and and everybody presents themselves you know in some form of package and this this package is bulletproof barbed wired that's the box that i have to present myself in but when you open the box what's inside the box tenderness fear uh, uncertainty I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm trying to figure this out. I don't have a guide. I'm trying to forge my own way. And the permission to take the stuff, the essence of us, the truer version of ourselves, the wise, 
knower that knows something before you even know you know it. Taking that and saying, hey, I can I can package this box in in a different in a different package. And maybe it's not even a box, but whatever it is, it's open. It's really interesting the work that I do when when I engage with clients, customers, um, about 95% of of my demographic is women. And and I think it's a it's a really interesting world to to be in. Dance is not something that is considered necessarily masculine in in society, but I grew up my life dancing everything, the lyrical, primarily hip hop, some Latin, you know. I have a grip on, you know, my hips. I know that they're there. I know that they're a thing. I know that guys have them too and we can move them, right? <laughs> I know how to I know how to move my body and that 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 in itself is in a lot of ways is considered a, a a softness. The work of coaching and and listening and and being being present and unguarded that is not necessarily society's picture. So I find myself in this in this other category where I can defend myself if I need to. I can go camping and get out in nature. Uh, I can do all the, I can check all the boxes of like the stereotypical masculine stuff. And I do a lot of those things, but I also have the softer side and the, and again, if we go back to that, that, that idea of completion and, and embodiment and the two sides to the same coin, we need strength and softness. Mm -hmm. Right. So learning how to, you know, earlier I talked about the language of aggression the unhealthy version of aggression, but there's actually a there there actually is a, a anger that the old theologians and the the guys that you find in the in the sacred texts of of, of the Bible and other religious texts they refer to as holy anger. This thing that that attacks that 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 fights that expresses that can embody sometimes rage but for the sake of justice for the sake of the ecosystem of belonging and the ecosystem of of safety psychological safety for others is being disrupted so I must vigorously and aggressively fight any of those ideas that make places unsafe mm -hmm. for others. Yeah, man, I, uh, hold on a second. I also have a pit bull and he has decided there's someone bad outside. Leo, <laughs> Leo everything is fine, I promise. I he doesn't it. believe me. <laughs> I, oh I, I closed him out. Uh, Mamba is probably sitting outside the door, just kind of moping. Oh, um, no. Maybe Leo senses him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He might have stopped. We're staying in like a guest house and there's some construction on the other side. And mm. it is Leo's worst nightmare. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. What have they done? That's about they right. Ruined his life. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we live in a neighborhood that's going through a big... Uh, 
a big development company came in uh, and like bought all the like the duplexes, bought like half of the neighborhood. So they've been redoing all of them. It's so funny. It's like we live, we live in this. We don't live in like this luxurious neighborhood, but like the sign says uh, luxury townhouses and they're <laughs> they're basically like the same size as ours. They're just gutting them and putting new stuff. And it's like, oh, luxury. Oh my That's where we live. But yeah, oh. when mama sees all those trucks, uh, he's oh. I hate them, man. Gentrification. That's what that's what he says. Yes. He says, gentrification, man. What's up with that? <laughs> Can you tell him, Mama? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hope he scares them away. Goodness gracious. That is hilarious. So how old's Mamba? He's two. He's two. two. Oh, he's a baby. Yeah. And, you know, you got to know why we named him Mamba. He, we got him the week after Kobe Bryant passed away. Oh, so, so special. yeah, so he's he's our Mamba mentality. Yeah, I love it. Mm. So had to pay had to pay some some honor. That's awesome. When when this is a side note, and we'll get right back into where we were. But when I was looking through your profile after you messaged me about the podcast, I found a picture of you and Mamba, and I got so excited. I was like, "Yes, instantly, I'm in. Let's talk." I Come love, on, I love it. Yes, Mamba caught my eye, and I was like, "Okay, gotta love a pit bull lover. I love it." Okay, have you ever seen the John Wick movies? I don't. What maybe they're like what hardcore Keanu Reeves action, like he like just kills people. Oh, I don't super know, just, maybe. super just violent. <laughs> John Wick. Yeah. Anyway, well, I mean, the, the whole thing, like he, like the the final straw is drawn, and you know, if if people haven't seen this movie, and I'm spoiling it, it's been out for a very long time. You know. Yeah, for sure. You, you no should have spoilers necessary, right? But. <laughs> But he he goes on this crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill the whole like mafia because somebody um, kills his dog, his pit bull, and he just he's like goes goes crazy, man. And so they make this oh meme, um, and it's him and and the pit bull, and it's and. And it's like him. He's like, I'm going to come after you if you don't like, if you don't love pit bulls, you know? Oh, my God. No, I want to see that movie. You weren't selling it to me at the beginning. I was like, you're like, just a bunch of violence. I'm like, okay. And then you talk about the defense of the pit bull. I'm like, let's do it. I love that. I love it. Man. Um, well, let's, let's see. Back where we were right before Leo started getting upset. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. You were talking about masculinity and how the different versions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's so special, and it, it's definitely a topic that I want to talk more about on the podcast because I don't know. I mean, I I mean, obviously, I have more. Um, well, obviously, I only have the female experience, and so right, I know right, right. that. Yeah, I've been in conversation so much with like women and about like how we were told we were supposed to be raised and like what it means to be a woman from like our mother and our dad and like society. But there's so much. And actually, do you listen to Armchair Expert at all, Dak Shepard? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes, I love him, favorite podcast ever. Uh, but he goes into a lot of this with the whole toxic masculinity type stuff and how he actually, he asks, and I actually wanna get your opinion on this, but he talks a lot about how like if he had a son, he always does, like he doesn't know what 
to do to raise that kid? Like, does he want his kid to go be, like, the sacrificial lamb and, like, not fight back and not, like, buy into all that stuff? Or does he want his kid to um, Mm. not have to just, like, fight it through and hope someone else goes and changes it? Do you know what I mean? Hmm. So, I guess uh, if I I hear kind of a question, basically... Does he does he want to raise his kid as an anti toxic masculinity? You're gonna be, you're gonna pave a new way, and you're gonna live vicariously through me, <laughs> kind of yeah. my ideas, or I'm gonna let you discover the road to yourself, kind of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like because I guess in in Dax's mind what he talks about a lot with it is like if he pushed his kid to like go against the toxic masculinity and to like not fight back but instead like he talks about like we'll talk about like emotions and feelings and he's like my kid's gonna go get his ass kicked and he's like i don't want to have my kid be the sacrificial lamb versus letting him like waiting for someone else to pave the way so my kid is safe i don't even know what i'm trying to ask i guess like your opinion on that well i mean Okay, so if you have any men listeners, uh, there is a book that I love uh, called Iron John. It is by Robert Bly. And in my opinion, it's the best book for men that I've ever read. I keep it on my I keep it on my desk. I refer to it often. But he makes this really cool distinction. Um and uh, to be clear, w- one of the reasons I love him is because he says, hey, he just says, just so you know, this book is a book for men, about men discovering this part of uh, this part of themselves called the wild man. Mm-hmm. But somebody there, there is some expert out there that can talk to you, that can talk to women about the the experience of discovering the wild woman. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just that that this that disclaimer. But he goes and he takes his this. Um, I think it it's um, it's an old fable called Iron Hans, and he uses that as a way where he uses philosophy to 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 basically and the hero's journey. He uses that to talk about the psyche, the male psyche, and the story goes. I'll give you the condensed version. The story goes, the king's men starts bringing his 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 troops out to the forest. They come to this pond and they and they always just get taken. So finally, an adventurer comes and um, and goes to the pond and he goes with a dog and the and some a hand reaches up, grabs the dog, pulls it into the pond. And he goes and he says, all right, this is where we need to go. This is where we're going to find what whatever is taking our taking our men. So he so he goes back to the king and he said, we're going to bring men and we're we're not bringing any weapons. We're just bringing buckets. All right. Everybody bring buckets. So they one bucket at a time. They bucket out the pond and at the bottom they find this wild man that his hair looks like iron and they call him iron john so they lock them up and the king's son ends up interacting with this wild man and goes on this journey on this journey 
and going from being the prized child with the golden ball to this person that has to leave the kingdom and learn how to live with this wild man and eventually become enchanted uh, through the experience and going through the trials. And it, it's all these different metaphors and about, you know, finding the goddess and um, and just picking wild flowers. And, and it's this, this idea of we don't want just that aggression, that TV, um, that TV version of John Wayne as the as the true man. What we want is this man that has awakened the wild man mm. who is connected with nature, who is who knows how to just be one with this part of themselves, but also knows how to love and knows how to do all do all of the thing, do the whole spectrum of being a man. So that's my long way of saying I think it's important, again, it's not this either or thing. And I think I think a lot a lot of our life we we spend we spend being I'm gonna fight against this rather than I'm gonna live for and towards these values. And and I think I think young boys need to learn and be given permission to have the full spectrum of it. Like, mm. I, I don't just think young boys. I think young boys and young girls. I would love if one day if I have daughters, I want to get them in jujitsu. I want to learn. I want them to I want them to learn how to fight because there's something powerful about learning how to how to have control in that area of aggression, learning how to use your energy in the right way, learning how to use that energy as a catalyst to move forward to for skill and, and all of these things, but also the softer side, too. Um, so we need to develop that that dark and that light energy. We need to develop all like the full spectrum of who we actually are. So oh, yeah. I, I want I want my kids to be able to discover. I don't want to leave them hanging. I want them to be I want them. I want to be a guide for them. But I know that there is some level of guidance that comes from forging their own way. Yeah, presence is important, but I find that I become a bit of a cautious handholder at times. And I don't think that that necessarily serves us. So I'm working towards not being a handholder, not being a fixer, and to be someone that is present and helping and and helping people process through the experience of this thing called life. Yeah, that's very very cool. I love that. Where it's not like I'm either tough or. Uh, soft it's like it's both it's always both and and like it's just a whole human being like there's not just like this is how to be masculine and this is how to be feminine but like it's just all gray I love that just not having any doors or any like 
I guess boxes or cages to what you're supposed to be, but just let's like discover who you are without any like set points from the beginning of expectations and stuff. That's so cool. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, the I guess um, for those listening in, I guess I just always love bringing her up, but the I guess the version for girls of that, I would assume would be Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Have you heard of her? I've, yes, I I have. And mm-hmm. thank you, because I should I should uh, read that. Because it's yeah, I started I started I started trying to get into a little bit a little bit of her stuff. So yeah, okay. Yeah, so she's awesome. It's all about like getting out of cages and because when you say like boxes, that's what I think of of like just like toxic masculinity is a cage or like religion could be a cage whatever like keeps you from being who you truly are mm-hmm. is just it's a cage and so i don't know best book i love she's like my i don't know how you'd even say it she's just the best she's an inspiration to me so mm. if you like her or share it with your wife um she's the best but yeah that's so so cool um Will you tell me more about dance and movement and how, just how it's taught you about your body, taught you about communication with your body, taught you about just your relationship with yourself in general? Like what, what does that look like for you? Hmm. Let's do a, 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 a practice together. Okay. If that's okay. I'm so in. Let's do it. I've never done that on here before. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So there's a practice that, you know, if you've, if you've, if you've taken a yoga class or if you've been with a meditation coach called a body, a body scan, essentially you're going to start from the crown of your head, the eyes, the ears, nose, mouth, all the way down through the jaw and throat. And you know, all the way down to the soles of your feet. So what you're gonna do, and for you listeners, you're gonna start at the top of your head, just breathing and imagine there is a light that is just tracking down your body and I'll guide you through. And you're just gonna notice any feeling, any tension, itching, whatever. And, and you're, you're going to try to just notice it and not try to change it. All right. And then we'll check in with the answer to your question after that. OK. OK. That sounds All right. perfect. All right. So go ahead and I want to give you permission to just close your eyes. Uh, sit comfortably. Feet on the ground hands gently resting on the thighs and we're going to start at the very crown of the head and we're going to go down through the eyes ears nose to the mouth and jaw to the throat to the shoulders through the chest, down the spine, to the belly, to the hips, to your seat, 
Feel the legs, knees, all the way down to the ankles and now the bottom of your feet. And then we're gonna take that body scan back up. So we're going ankles, the calves, to the back of the legs, through the glutes, back all the way up the spine, through the shoulders, right to that scalp, all the way back up to the crown. Take a couple of breaths, and if your eyes are closed, slowly open your eyes. And I'm interested, tell me about your experience, what you noticed. That was very cool. I for a second forgot we were doing a podcast. I thought I was doing my morning meditation. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Um, well, uh, some things I noticed were I was having to stop myself from changing a lot of things to constantly try to make myself more comfortable. Part of that's because I'm sitting on the floor in a bathroom where I have the best sound. Yes! <laughs> so not in the most comfortable place in the, in the place, but I kept noticing like everything had to be moved. And then also so much tension in my shoulders, always. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting though, when you like think just specifically about the different parts of your body with your eyes closed how you really do like you notice all these things that you don't notice just moving through life right so there's this presence that happens with mm. feet on the ground hands on the thighs you're you're in that moment so now we take it a step further say you're experiencing something distressing stressful traumatic something that is discomfortable something that's uncomfortable in your experience. Where do you feel it? Checking in in that moment to say, oh, there's a nervousness in my belly. There's a tension in my shoulders. Ah, oh, my jaw just hurts because I've been clenching my teeth. Um, my hips just are tight. We, we find that what we're experiencing in life is always going to land on the body. And uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, he, he has this book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. And essentially, you know, just to quote the title, the body keeps the score. The body holds all of the tension. The nervous system reacts to everything. So then now we're talking about even when somebody starts talking down to you and maybe you notice your shoulders roll forward or your eyes start looking down and you start to feel small. So you start to shrink your body or times when you feel good about yourself and you, that chest is just open or when somebody is talking to you in a way that is just really just pissing you off and those fists just start to clench up or you're trying to not not react and you, you tense your jaw you just kind of tighten your shoulders all that stuff 
is the wisdom of the body. So now when I'm doing a movement that the dance world calls a body roll, what the movement world calls a spinal wave, where that starts from the head, moves all through the spine, the chest, the belly, the hips, bringing it down and bringing it back up. I've basically engaged my entire, and this is where we nerd out, my entire vagal nerve, which goes from this brainstem all the way down the spine, into the gut, connected to all of our major muscles that connect to our major organs. And that's fired up, that's awake, that is turned on. So when I move my body, there is a, a sense, a sensing and a, a presence, not that I just have with the people around me, but that I can now have with myself. This presence with me. I'm here, I'm awake, I'm turned on. So dance, movement. And then another thing about it is, it's a really interesting, the movement space and the dance space, it's one of the only environments where you could be around people who ideologically believe everything that you don't. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter because you're there for the common thing that is to move to the beat, move your body, get that sweat in, build strength, get mobile. And it's hard for me to now hate you when I'm moving with you, when I'm dancing with you, when that song hits and I'm experiencing this joyful moment and we both worked hard to get from start to finish together in the same space, there's something that's special. And there's something that, you know, for me as a kid, I can say that I used to find that in, in churches, this, wow, like we come from different races, different socioeconomic classes and all these things. It's kind of sad to watch this, this change to where it's not that, to where it, if you believe a certain political view, if you believe a certain, um, if you look a certain way, if you have, if you're in a certain social class, then there's a church for you there and these different things. So I, I, I find that that movement spaces, that dance classes still embody that, still mm -hmm. give, give room. And then there's room for growth, right? You have the person that's been taking dance classes, that's been in movement classes, that's been going to the gym their whole life. And then you have the person that is, that's, that's scared, that walks in and says, I need to do something different and I wanna try this out. And those two people exist in the same room. I got to tell you about an experience with one of my just, she's one of my closest friends now. And she, I owe her a lot of credit for even for a lot of the research that I do around this stuff. Her name's Yasmin. And when I was teaching cardio dance classes at Stanford, the university for faculty and staff, 
I met this woman, Yasmin, and she came up to me after class and she said, hey, I'm, I'm here as a, as a fellow with the, um, with the design school and you know, I've, I've done a lot in my life. I've, I've, accomplished, I've accomplished a lot. My, my daughter, she's a professor here. You'd like her, she, she's great. You know, you, you and her would get along really well. Her daughter is Dr. Seema Yasmin, the CNN correspondent that, uh, that and the, the one that's leading the initiative at Stanford around COVID-19. She's an epidemiologist. Emmy winning wow. journalists. Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you'd like her. You you yeah, this <laughs> this this Sima, right? And sure. And she starts to tell me about the work that she's done in global health and Sudan and with the um Melinda Gates Foundation and, and all the things and and she grew up in a and I always say this when I tell her story because it's very much her story to tell. And I always say when I'm on a podcast, you should have you should have um, Yasmin on here oh, to, yeah? to tell her story but she she basically said I she she was in an abusive relationship she said I want to give my daughter an opportunity to have the freedom she was in a very rigid uh, religious circumstance mm. she said I want to give my daughter an opportunity to experience the childhood that I never had so she left and you know this the story you know the rest is history her daughter mm -hmm. became dr sima and she had a amazing career but she said i've done all this stuff but i'm in your class because i'm learning how to i need to learn how to connect with my body wow i've i've done everything i haven't done this yet and it that's when it took me down the rabbit hole of reading The Body Keeps the Score and getting into Dr. Peter Levine's work and more recently getting into Resma Menicum's work um, and somatic healing mm. uh, for trauma. And there is something powerful about being able to, about the link of being able to connect. I have the freedom to move this body I can be kind to this body. I can love this body, accept all the parts of it. And, and by moving my body, I can now see the potential that exists in this body. I can see the trueness that exists in this body, the beauty that exists in this body. That is so, that just sounds sacred. Uh, the whole experience sounds like, like you were saying, church it's like it's all spiritual honestly oh my goodness yeah wow it, yeah what did you kind of like what were some things that you learned and you said you got really into the body keeps a score you mentioned another guy that i've never heard of. what was his name right dr peter dr peter levine so he 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 founded the somatic experiencing institute in boulder colorado uh and he actually I found him because this is like just kind of a, a pro tip from Malcolm Gladwell. He said, hey, the information that you need to know is in the the reference page in any book you read. So I started going and just started reading all the all the books that he cited. And <laughs> I found Dr. Oh, Peter wow. Levine and they, they do a bit of work together. 
Oh, that's so smart. I, wow. Yeah, I, I need I know, to do that. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a game changer. So you, you end up again. So you start going down these rabbit holes. You start learning about different different things. So initially, you know, one thing that one thing that we say in the fitness world and this connects with the with the with the whole um, somatic world as far as, you know, just the nervous system. When I was training uh, to do personal training several years ago, they said, hey, you need to know that you are not training people's muscles to get bigger. You are training people's nervous systems to do what it's supposed to do. Oh, that's good. And so I hold that in one hand with this idea of trauma that we hold in our nervous system. So, you know, in the fitness world, you ever get a personal trainer, they're going to have you foam roll. Mm -hmm. They're going to have you do the stuff to warm up your body because a lot of the restrictions we have in our nervous system. And I, I just feel like you could just imagine me pushing up my glasses and like, well, the, the data says. And <laughs> <"Bella."> <laughs> Tell me all the data. I love it. <laughs> but they'll have you foam roll uh, first or, or do kind of a movement warm up because a lot of injury comes from the way that our nervous system says, hey, I've never done that before. We don't do that. Or I've been sitting this way for so long. I've been standing this way for so long that if you do anything that goes against that natural position that I've been holding for my entire life, I'm going to resist that because that's how I keep you safe. We don't do things that we've never done before. So when you foam roll, when you do a little self massage, when you um, you know do like the movement prep stuff, what you're saying is you're 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 giving your nervous system the permission to say, "Hey, I know that we're about to stretch beyond a point of something that we we don't normally do, but it's okay. We'll be safe." So the muscle memory becomes a thing that ends up getting us the mobility, the strength, the, you know, all, all those components of fitness. Trauma is very much a muscle memory thing. Our nervous system is remembering, hey, the last time this happened, some kind of scenario like that, the last time that person, the last time a person raised their voice, some kind of injury happened psychologically or physically. The last time you touched the hot stove, it burned you and you never did it. You never did it again. Right. The last time there was sirens, somebody got taken away when you were a child and the nervous system remembers. So the body keeps the score. So so you take all that. And I mentioned Res, Resma Menicum, who uh, he writes this book, uh, My Grandmother's Hands and I'm going to start uh, training with him. But his whole thing is racism and systemic racism. It's a nervous system issue. The things that make us act out racism and put, again, offload our trauma onto others in the form of racism. It is 
gut reactions and and tension in the body and this aggression that happens on a nervous system level. So he uses the whole somatic work as a way to heal racial trauma. So he mm. takes he takes the body keeps the score, but then he mixes that with um, Ta-Nehisi Coates between the world and me. Um, wow. Right. And like that whole thing. So there's so much in there. Uh, when we have these societal issues, name it. 2020 happened. You can name all of them. <laughs> Every day <laughs> right? that year. Every day right. since. Right, right, right. All of oh. the different um, pandemics of the year, right? Systemic racism, that was a pandemic. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. COVID-19, that was a pandemic. Um, the wild political whatever we call that circus that was the election uh, yeah oh that's what it's called oh, oh my gosh no i think you were right actually oh, okay. <laughs> circus I one uh, yeah okay all right but Oof. take all that and ask the question does the body keep the score how did we react to each other online oh i don't I, oh they just said something that was so fired fired me up so i just have to type out my opinion mm-hmm. i just have to attack them right that I just can't help myself compulsion. That's the nervous system. That's trauma. The body keeps the score. That, uh, that's some of it. And then, and then also just with that, I started developing a framework and I, I, try to, I try to preach it more and more of this idea of soulful living versus shallow living. So the framework of how to live soulfully. And with all of that research and stuff I was doing, I found these these components of of what I would say is is soulful living that can help us live more. And when I say soulful living, I, I mean living from the depths of ourselves, just integrated, artfully connected to all of our parts and and even further than that, connected to something greater than ourselves. So what I found in this research is a is a is a it are some key things that you can extract to to kind of help us to to really live more from the depths of ourselves and not trying to fit into boxes and living in the shallows but living deep rich connection with ourselves with others and with the beyond that greater thing something bigger than ourselves. That's so beautiful. I love this so much because it just everything you're saying, it, it feels really healing to me because I, so I was in treatment last year for an eating disorder. And mm-hmm. one of my biggest things outside of food was overexercising as like a negative behavior, honestly. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like movement to, it sounds harsh, but like, harm myself torture myself movement to like punish myself or it just was so distorted and so going through treatment and coming out on the other side of that I knew like I've always loved being active and I'm a runner and I love sports and I might whenever people ask or when I ask like if there's one skill you can learn and be an expert at it I pick dancing every time Mm. because it seems like so much fun but I've always loved that but after kind of like when you know something really deep you can't unknow it so once I knew that like 
oh, but I have to question, is this movement because of my eating disorder? Is this movement because, like, is this harming me or working with my body? Mm. And so I've been in this weird middle place ever since. And I don't know, this conversation's been really helpful. And Mm. I know we're kind of running out of time, but... Honestly, maybe there might need to be a part two because I have so many more things I want to talk to you about. Well, I, I want to ask you a question with this and yeah. we can definitely do the part two. But like, I'm just <laughs> interested. Um, talk to me uh, about when I say what is the curiosity that you've discovered in in this and walking the walking the line of, hey, this was. I use this I use this this tool for self-harm and kind of trying to decide hey will this serve me or will this harm me yeah I'm I'm just interested what uh about about curiosity that you've kind of found inside of yourself in the exploration of all this Yeah I think like honestly it gave me new language and kind of a new lens to see moving for a second or like being active or I even I have a hard time even with the word like exercise we had these like red lettered words we couldn't use and like exercise was bad we had to call it movement which it's just there was very much um this is what we can say and this is what we can't everything we say was like deeply questioned I'm like okay well did you run because of this reason or this reason or this reason and um Gosh, I guess it just made me curious about what movement and being active could look like on the complete other side of the spectrum of like versus fighting Mm. against your body, trying to change your body into something, moving against that and into a world where no, we're moving to celebrate our body and to work with our body and to connect with our body. And like, Mm. it's kind of like bridges those I don't know if he, I'd even say it bridges the gap, but like it just shows me the whole other side of the spectrum, which makes me excited wow. because I was afraid that like I was just going to be stuck there in this very much, um, okay, well, exercise mm-hmm. and move, like running, that's just, you can't do that because then your mind's going to like spiral down this road. And it just kind of gave me like a bit of a hope for it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. What What would you say, I guess, to someone in my shoes, more so like, well, I guess now, but I was going to say more so like right out of treatment, like someone who, who maybe exercises and moves in a way to change who they are and to disconnect and to like, if you're in pain, like pain is good, like just like. I don't know, that whole mindset of hmm. just beating the crap out of yourself hmm. and calling that movement. What would you say to someone who's like stuck in that world when movement can be something so different in the way that you're talking about? Hmm. I feel like I have a lot of answers. Hmm. Um, but I think the one that becomes most important or rather the two that become most important one is when we look at what we call the vices um, 
or our vices in our life. Like, you know, the most common one that we'll talk about is is alcohol, right? You know, um, which you've you've talked, you know, extensively about about some of some of that stuff in the past. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I have a certain relationship with 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 one. Um, and for me, it, it becomes this tool to just connect with my wife. We live, you know, pretty close to Napa where we got anniversary coming up. We're, we're going to we're going to spend some time in wine country. Um, but we had to ask ourselves, you know, is this connecting us or is this numbing us? And, and I think, so take that and put that on whatever, whatever it is, that's, that's the, that's the vice. So if it's, so if it's this retelling the story of movement, is it, is this bringing connection or is this bringing numbness? Is this bringing, if we want to use Enneagram speech, is this bringing integrate, integration and growth? Or is this bringing disintegration and, and uh, just a way to kind of unhealthily deal with stress? Um, so that's the first thing. The, the motivation of is this connecting? And so, you know, practically what that can be is, hey, I want to I want to be connected to myself, but I also want to be connected to the people around me. So is there a safe way? Are there safe people? Is there a safe community in which I can engage with this this thing called movement in a way that doesn't bring judgment and shame, but actually brings connection and integration. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one of the components, one of the first components of my framework of soulful living is rediscovering the inner soul child. And there's so many elements of the of 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 children that are just so present and embody the word be right. B E. They 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 just are the ball of emotions and you know, everything's a lever. Everything in life is are these levers of like, hey, like I'm gonna you know, think of like the terrible twos, threes, fours, <laughs> right? Which is actually the most important and most I I feel that the essence of life is in is in exploring the the twos, threes, and fours of children. They, you give them food and they knock it off the table and it hears, it splatters on the ground and they hear the bowl and then they look at you and you stop them and they're looking for your response, but they're also noticing what happens when they knock it off and you put it back up and then they knock it off again. And they're, they're, they're constantly pulling these levers, which we call terrible, and they're just discovering. They're discovering the world. They're discovering everything. And belonging for them is not a question. It is the it is the water they swim in. So there's this there's this thing in children, and I and I ask my clients and and I'll ask your listeners, 
who were you before you had to perform? Who were you before you had to be somebody different than you are? Before you felt like, I need to change to fit and survive. When we explore movement in that kind of way and try to engage with that, that inner child, that person before the wounds, before the survival tactics, what would it look like if we explored movement with the qualities of that inner soul child? Playfully, curious, creative, trusting, expressing our emotions and just moving as a way of learning. I think that that can be a powerful way to kind of rewrite the story of what our body does, how we use this body, how we can befriend our body through moving it. Wow, that is, I'm gonna have to sit on that for like two or three weeks. That's really, really, really impactful. And I love that question about like, who were you before you, the world told you to be type of thing. And I've never used that question in the framework of movement. And I think that that is a really important, I want to say starting point, but just important like lens to see that through. So that's very special. Um, Chris, thank you. For all of this, my gosh, I have, I have so much I want to talk to you about. We didn't get into so many of the topics I wanted to, but we're running a little close to time. Would you, this is a sidebar, but would you be down to do a part two and get into some more stuff? Like oh, that? heck yeah. But just for the sake of time, we'll cut that off from now and then I'll reach out to you. And we'll find a, a time for part two. Because if you're down, I'm super down. Because I'm yeah. all open for the learning from you. <laughs> Absolutely. This is this has been such a joy. You are Good. you you are a soul sister, and um, oh. yeah, like let's let's keep these conversations going. It's it's very yeah. important to have them in public. Yes. Thank you very much. That is an honor to be a soul sister. So thank you for telling me that. I got to ask one last question, which has nothing to do with anything else. Um, are you ready for that? Uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Let's do it. <laughs> nothing to do with anything we've talked about at all. Um, okay, Chris, would you rather... Would you rather every time you went... Anywhere, whether it was from the kitchen to the living room or from like the coffee shop to the grocery store, just like any kind of anywhere, anywhere that you would normally walk. So you could still drive and stuff, but anytime you would have to walk somewhere, you would have to do cartwheels and you can't explain to anybody why you're just doing cartwheels. And when they ask, you have to just pretend you have no idea what they're talking about. Just gaslight everybody. <laughs> and you're just doing cartwheels everywhere. But you get to be like really good at cartwheels and you like become just the guy that people go to to learn how to do cartwheels. Like okay. moms send their kids there. <laughs> I feel you. like you don't even have to ask me the second one, but I'll let you ask me the second one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This I sh You know what? I should have gone in a different direction. Of course, you picked that one. 
Um, okay, the second one. Let me try to make this hard for you, actually. Okay, okay, let okay. Me, let me think. Or would you rather... You have just one dog right now? Yep. Okay. Or would you rather Mamba becomes an actual... Like, it's still, still a dog and still, like, everything's the same. But Mamba is... Basically, a person like he goes to work. He brings in money to pay rent. He cooks you dinner. Oh. He takes care of you, so you don't have to do anything you don't want to do because he's like head of the house. He he doesn't speak. He like is still like the same dog. So he's like the he breadwinner, though. Yeah, like he goes to work. He makes dinner. Like he's taking care of you, and you get to just lay around and do whatever you want all day. Oh wow, that is hard. <laughs> oh good, I want. Got it. <laughs> Just like, how am I going to do this? Okay, okay, okay. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I think, okay, yeah, you you got me. I, I, I think that would be dope. Oh, my goodness. It will be like the cartoons, you know, yeah, where the, where the dogs guess. read the newspaper and wear glasses. Yeah. And this is great. <laughs> this is great. If that could actually happen in real life and I don't have to just clean up his poop. And <laughs> he cleans up your poop. Yeah, he cleans up my poop. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Clean the bathroom, man. Yeah. Scrub that toilet. Oh okay. my god. Yeah. No. I, I'm gonna choose the lazy one. And yeah, mama's gonna take care of me. So I respect that. I would pick that one in a heartbeat. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And that he can talk too? Can he talk? I don't know. I was, th I couldn't decide. I normally uh, think of these like on the spot, which that was definitely on the spot. It's like, I okay. feel like he could talk, but also like he's just a dog still. So it like, no, you know, we'll say he could talk. Okay. Look at like Brian. Uh, yeah. That's like a no brainer. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. We're already winning it for Mamba. He might as well get to talk. Yeah. Or wait, what if he talked, but he only spoke um, French. And so you didn't know what he, but you had to learn French. Well, I mean, I just think a talking dog is dope. So I yeah. agree. I yeah, mean, I, you know what he's saying. <laughs> Someone yeah. does. He's like, "Oh, you speak French? You're cool." This is oh great. my gosh! Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Chris, you have been such a joy to talk to and learn your story and all of the things story more like stories like plural I felt like I said earlier I felt like I was sitting in front of a fireplace with tea just like listening oh so good but how how can people find you um like your social media as your work where would you like people to be pushed yeah, to I am pretty active on Instagram at coach underscore Chris Rodriguez and then um you can also find me at my website, coachchrisrodriguez.com. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. And how does it work if someone wanted, uh, like, do you have any openings for clients or whatnot? How does I, I, that work? I do. I do. So um, right now I'm, I'm, I am doing the one-on-one, -on -one, the one-on-one -on -one coaching, whether it's they want to go the life coaching route, whether they want to go the movement route. I do small group training. Um, and then I also go into a company. So if your listeners have a team and they want some kind of workshop around the Enneagram or something like that, just kind of a team building workshop. Yeah, you can reach out to me on any of those mediums, Instagram or my website. Awesome. Real quick, what Enneagram are you? I'm a nine. 
A nine. Okay. Awesome. I'm a seven. Okay. And I love that you're into the Enneagram. I was going to ask earlier, but I didn't because the last time I did that, it backfired. They had no idea what I was talking about. I was like, uh, this is awesome. Yeah. I know. It's like you, you're either, you either know about it and you're like, it's a it's a thing thing or you're like, no, yeah. I've never heard about it. It's like <laughs> strength finders or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, is it yeah. the, the ENFJ thing? I'm like, no. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, cool. I will put all that in the show notes below. And for those of you who enjoyed this, keep an eye out slash ear out for part two where we're going to get into so many more things, I'm hoping, because this has been lovely. But thank you very much for your time, Chris. I hope you have a good time over in the beautiful Oakland with Mamba. And I hope he starts to go win some bread for you. I know. And talk French and teach me French. Yes. Keep me posted if that happens. All right. Okay. (laughs) Will do. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk soon.